Good morning. We are so glad you're here today. It's a beautiful day to be together. Even though not necessarily so great on the outside, it's a beautiful day on the inside. And we are grateful for your presence. Thank you for being here. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We're so grateful for the many visitors who come our way week to week. We are blessed in that respect. We've had a number of people that have identified with us, become members here, and join hands with us. And if you're looking for a church home, listen, we want to encourage you, please consider the work here. We'd love to have you on board, love to be able to work with you and to worship with you as we serve the Lord in this community. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 1 verse 3, the passage that Jordan read a moment ago, where Paul talks about all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And so today, I want to just very quickly again say this. I know tonight is the Super Bowl. I'm in tune with that. I know it's a big pull for a lot of folks. But I can't think of a better place for you to be than right here at 6 o'clock. If you're a Christian, this is where you need to be. And so, you know, games come and games go. What we're talking about and what we do on the first day of the week is incredibly important. More important than any Super Bowl. I bet you don't even remember who played last year, do you? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But nonetheless, please come back tonight. We're going to be looking at Matthew 27 tonight in our study as we focus on the cross. Why do we need the Lord? Let's just imagine that you're sitting across the table at lunch and you're talking to somebody about the Christian life and you're trying to impress upon a friend, a family member, a co-worker, a classmate the importance of Christ and why they need the Lord in their life. It might be the case that there are a number of things that you would say as to why a person needs the Lord in their life. I understand there are a lot of folks that will come back at you and say, well, you know what? Life is good. I mean, I've got a good job. Or if I'm in school, I make good grades. Plenty of friends. Everything's going well with my family. Life is good. Why would I need the Lord? I think there are some reasons, rock-solid reasons, if you please, why each and every person in this world needs the Lord. What I want to do is share with you some reasons why I believe we all need the Lord. The passage that was read a moment ago, Ephesians 1.3, Paul tells us every spiritual blessing resides in Christ. The phrase in Christ or its equivalent is found some 35 times in the book of Ephesians, which says to me there is something extremely important about being in Christ. So why do you need the Lord? Why do I need the Lord? Number one, I submit to you we need the Lord because of sin. Sadly, the whole concept of sin has fallen on hard times in contemporary society. 
People often joke about sin. In their mind, it's just preacher talk. And so when the discussion turns to the problem of sin, their attitude is, well, you know, that's just old-fashioned, archaic, narrow-minded. You need to get over that stuff. I want you to hear what Paul said in Romans chapter 3. Paul said, there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, and this catches everyone, Paul said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I know that there are people in the world today that have this idea that we are born in sin. We are born as a sinner. The Bible doesn't teach that. No, Ezekiel said not long ago, the Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son, according to Ezekiel chapter 18. Sin is identified by John as the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. So we're not born sinners. But rather when we transgress or transcross the law of God, we live in violation of divine law, therefore we are as Paul would say, under sin. The problem of sin is epic in proportion. There are a lot of people who are living under the sway or under the power of the wicked one. In other words, he has them in, their, in his clutches. And the devil doesn't want to give, doesn't want to let them go, so to speak. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 8 that those who commit sin are the bondservants of sin. Sin has a way of enslaving people. It is a terrible form of servitude. But also, you need to understand something about the penalty of sin. This is where a lot of folks miss it. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul said the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The flip side of that is the wages of sin, listen to him, is death. Eternal separation from Almighty God. Here's what we need to understand. If we're living in sin without the benefits of the blood of Jesus Christ, we stand in jeopardy of losing our soul in an eternal hell. I get society. I understand that there are people in the world today, they don't want to hear about hell. Hell has fallen on hard times, as has sin. Fact of the matter is, Jesus had more to say about the subject of hell than any other person in the New Testament. Which ought to say to us, it's a very serious subject. Imagine if you can, stepping out into eternity without God. You know, Paul said we're without hope and without God in this world. If you don't have hope and God in your life in this world, you will not have Him in the next life. The danger of being severed from the presence of Almighty God forevermore. You remember in Luke 16, Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. 
One lived a God-centered life, one a godless-centered life. When Lazarus died, the Bible says the angels carried his soul into the bosom of Abraham, into that realm called paradise. But Jesus said with regard to the rich man, when he died, he lifted up his eyes in torment. Imagine if you can, one minute you're here on planet earth, the next minute you lift your eyes up and you're in torment. Why would you spend eternity in torment? Because of sin. Because you have not dealt with the problem of sin. Which leads me to the second thought. We need the Lord, number one, because of sin. We need the Lord, number two, because of salvation. Here's what the Bible has to say. There is one man that saves. One man, that's it. That one man is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the hope of the world, isn't he? Didn't Jesus say during His earthly ministry, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Me. That is exclusive. What the Lord's saying is, there is no other way outside of Me to be saved. Peter and John said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There are a lot of folks in the world today, when they talk about Jesus, they have a lot of thoughts. Their idea is He was a good man. He was an advocate for the downtrodden, for those who were disenfranchised. He was a person of love, a tremendous teacher, compassionate, merciful, etc., but their idea is, you don't have to believe in Him. You don't have to believe that He is the Son of God to enjoy bliss in the next world. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. To understand that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only Savior this world has. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He said there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. If you're going to be saved, it will only be through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is, as John said, the Savior of the world, without whom we would be lost forevermore. Do you remember John the Baptist? When he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Hebrew writer said, But now we see Jesus. Made a little lower than the angels. Crowned with glory and honor. That He, by the grace of God, might taste of death for every man. Jesus died for you and me. How sad it would be to know that Jesus died to redeem us and to turn our backs on Him. He is the man who saves. Not only is there one man that saves, but the Bible says there is one plan that saves. There are not multiple plans out here to be saved. 
nor are there multiple roads that man can follow to ultimately end up in heaven. Jesus said it is a narrow road. A lot of folks on the broad road that leads to destruction. But Jesus said, enter in at the narrow gate. The one plan is articulated in this book that we call the Bible. How do you know what to do to be saved? The only way that you will ever know what you must do to be saved is to read the book that we call the Bible. That's it. Let me tell you, there are a lot of folks, they're basing their salvation on feelings and not on facts. You better make sure that you have the facts when it comes to salvation. You remember the Philippian jailer? When he cried out, what must I do to be saved? Is there a more pertinent question in the world today? There are a lot of folks that will tell people what to do to be saved. The problem is you can't read about it in the Bible. On Pentecost Day, when Peter and the other apostles preached the gospel, the text says they were cut, pricked, convicted in their heart. And they cried out and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? If I want to know what to do to be saved, I need to understand this is the one plan for salvation. What is that one plan? Here it is. Peter said, number one, you need to repent. Number two, you need to be baptized. For what purpose? For the remission of your sins, for the forgiveness of sins. In the denominational world, here's what you typically hear. They say, believe, and then you're saved, and then you're baptized. That's the order, isn't it? You believe, then you're saved, and then you're baptized. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, he that believes, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved. So what's the difference there? They're out of order, aren't they? The world says you believe, then you're saved, then you're baptized. Jesus said you believe, then you're baptized, and then you're saved. So what are you basing your salvation on? If you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, you are not a part of the kingdom of God. I don't care what anybody tells you, you are not a part of the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible teaches. That is plain, it is narrow, but that's what the truth says. You want to go to heaven? You better listen to the Lord Jesus. He's the one man who saves and there's just one plan that saves. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said he preached the same thing in every church. I would imagine today there are any number of religious organizations that are meeting. Sadly, in many of these places, you'll hear one thing taught here, another thing taught there, another thing taught here, another thing taught over there. Is that God's plan? Does God want us to live in a state of spiritual confusion? Paul said that there be no divisions among you. All right, Paul, how then can we rectify the problem of division in the world today? Here it is. Paul said that you all speak the same thing. You make sure that you base your salvation on what the Bible teaches. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Paul asked the question, what does the Scripture say? 
If somebody tells me they believed in the Lord Jesus, then they were saved, and then they were baptized, I know they haven't read the same Bible I've read. That's not what the Bible teaches. I know what denominations teach, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the truth of Almighty God. If you want to go to heaven, there's one man who saves, and there's one plan. That's it. There is no other. And the idea that you can get to heaven without being a member of the body of Christ is foreign to New Testament Christianity. On Pentecost Day, those people that were baptized into Christ, the Bible says the Lord added them to the church, verse 47. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, By one Spirit were you all baptized into one body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. That means when you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into the body of Christ. So you mean to tell me I've got to be a member of the body of Christ to go to heaven? Listen to Paul. Don't take my word for it. Paul said he is the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5, verse 23. Check it out. Make sure that what I'm telling you is found in this book. Don't take my word for it. But you need to understand, truth saves. Let me just throw this in. You're going to be judged by the truth. You better make sure that your life is in harmony with the will of God because this is the standard that will judge you one day. Jesus said, He that rejects me and receives not my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Paul said, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Pontius Pilate asked a question. You remember what is truth? Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Chapter 17, verse 17. Truth. So why do we need the Lord? Number one, because of sin. Number two, because of salvation. Number three, because of suffering. We live in a world where it is evident there is a proliferation of pain. It's hurt, it hurts to see people in this world hurting, doesn't it? Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. In James chapter 1, James said, Can it all joy when you fall into various trials? There are a lot of trials that afflict people today cancer, debilitating illnesses, chronic pain. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There are people in our world today, they are hurting. Their bodies are racked with pain. They're crying out for relief. You need the Lord in your life because of human suffering. I have often reflected upon people that don't have God in their lives. And it has often been brought to my attention. I don't understand how people can live in pain and suffering without God. Can you? I mean, how do people make it? People that are hurting and crying they're in searing pain day in and day out. How do they make it? But then you know what the Bible teaches us? That there is the reality of a refuge. 
As a child of God, we have hope, don't we? We're not out here on our own. No, here's what the Bible says. Psalm 46, God is a refuge, a very present help in trouble. Listen to that. The psalmist is affirming that God is our refuge and that He is a very present help in trouble. When you're hurting and your life seems to be out of control, and you can't sleep, you can't eat, because pain is racking your body. Isn't it encouraging to know that you can find a refuge in God? I listened to the words of David in Psalm 55, verse 22, when he said, Cast your burden on the Lord. The promise is, He will sustain you. To be a child of God, to have the opportunity As we lie awake at night, we can't sleep because of pain and suffering. It might be that we're hurting because a friend, a family member is under siege in this life. And they're hurting, and so we're hurting with them. And yet, Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. I can lie awake at night. And I can lift my voice to God in prayer. And I have the assurance that God hears my prayers. And that God has the ability to soothe my heart as He does yours. The Hebrew writer said that we ought to draw boldly unto the throne of grace. That we might receive time of need. Let me tell you what. You may not need help today, but there will come a day in your life when you'll need God's help. And you will be grateful that there is a loving God in heaven who cares for you and who will stand ready to stand by you. He stands ready to stand by you. He is standing by you. So what a blessing to know that we have a refuge in God. You know, Peter said, casting all your care, A-L-L, all your care on Him. The reason is because He cares for you. There's not another person on planet Earth that cares for you like God. Do you believe that? The love that a parent has for a child, I don't know how you describe it. It's as if they're a part of us and we love them unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally. God's love is supreme. He has an investment in us and He is interested in our plight. Let me give you another reason why we need the Lord. We need the Lord in life for stability. Could I pry into your life for a minute? How stable are you? I mean, really, how stable is your life? I've known people as have you, whose lives are anything but stable. You look at their track record. It's been one problem after another. It's instability in the home, instability in the workplace, instability in terms of relationships. The life's a mess. 
There are a lot of people in our world today, quite frankly, their lives are a mess. They have no stability. I hear the Hebrew writer talking about God being an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. When people anchor their lives to the Lord, they have stability, don't they? Let me tell you about the stability that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. Number one, we are guarded by His peace. Do you believe that? Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Then here it is. And the peace of God which passes all understanding Imagine if you can, a military guard standing watch over you. And the picture is that of Almighty God standing watch over your heart. As a child of God, we are guarded by His peace. We have peace with God, yes, but we have the peace that passes all understanding. That is not available in the world. There are people in our world today, they'll say sometimes, I'm at peace where I am right now. That peace is often disrupted. In Christ Jesus, the peace that we enjoy is not subject to alteration by the externals of life. Why? Because the Lord is a part of our life, isn't He? We are guarded by His peace and we are graced by His presence. When Paul wrote to the saints in Philippi, Time's about A.D. 61, 62. He is in a Roman prison. And yet the very same person who was in prison would write to the church at Philippi and say, Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Here he is in prison. And yet I hear him saying in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, The Lord is at hand. Some years later he would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And he would say, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. Here's the Apostle Paul, chained to a Roman guard, severed in many respects from the people he loved, and yet he understood that though he happened to be a prisoner of the Lord, God was standing by his side. That's why he said, the Lord's at hand. The Lord is right here beside me. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will stand by your side come what may. I know there are folks that will sometimes tell you when, when times get tough, we're here for you. And how many of us have known people that have made affirmations such as that? They've said when times get tough, we're going to be here for you, but then the times come when things aren't so pleasant. And the very people that said they would stand with you are nowhere to be found. Paul knew something about that too, didn't he? Didn't Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, At my first defense, no man stood with me, all men forsook me. Are there not people in the world today that say, you know what? I had friends and family members that said they would stand with me. They'd be here for me. When tough times came, I looked around, nobody was there. Won't you listen to what Paul said? But God stood with me and strengthened me. 
The same God that stood by the Apostle Paul will stand by you. You say, I'm a nobody. I'm not an apostle. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. Let me tell you what. In the kingdom of God, everybody is somebody. We're all somebody to God. In the kingdom of God, nobody is a nobody. You believe that? We're somebody to Christ. That's why Peter said, He cares for you. God genuinely cares about you. So we need the Lord. We need the Lord in this life. And you know, when I pick up Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and I read that every spiritual blessing resides in Christ Jesus, I'm reminded why I need the Lord. Let me give you another reason why we need the Lord. We need Him because of separation. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, the writer talks about the fear of death. Are you afraid of dying? When I was just a boy, couldn't have been more than eight, nine years of age, my grandmother... Her mother was still alive. She was in her 90s. I remember standing in the kitchen beside my mother at the sink. My mother told me that my grandmother's mother had been taken to the hospital. And she said, they've called the preacher in. And I remember I asked the question, why'd they call the preacher? And she said, well, you know, sometimes when people come to the end of life and they face death, they're afraid. I know some people say, I'm not afraid to die. Brother Wayne Jackson, I've read many of his articles. He said one time when somebody says that, he said, they're whistling in the graveyard. But you know what? That's a reality. It may be the Lord Jesus comes in your lifetime. But if He doesn't, you will not get out of this world alive. History bears that out, doesn't it? A lot of people in the world today, they really think they're something. They're rich, they're famous, and they got everything they want. They really think they're something. I would remind all of us, no matter how much we think of ourselves, it'd do us good to go to the cemetery. To look at the names etched in those tombstones. Great people, famous people, wealthy people, educated people, old people, young people, white people, black people. Look, it's a fact. There's the fear of death, but the fact, the fact of the matter is, you will die. Listen to the Hebrew writer. It is appointed unto man once to die. After this comes the judgment. Let me ask you another personal question. Let's just say that you don't make it home today. Maybe you have a heart attack at a restaurant. Maybe you have an accident. But you don't make it home. When we meet tonight, you're in eternity. My question to you, where are you? Oh, you'll be somewhere, but where are you? 
You remember Solomon talked about death. He said, when death comes, he said, the body returns to the dust from whence it was taken. But he said, the spirit returns to God. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. When you die, God will do something with your spirit. Either it will be placed in paradise, the abode of the righteous, or it will be placed in a realm of torment. And there'll be no reprieve. There'll be no hope for a better day. There'll be no second chances. There'll be no bargaining. You won't talk your way out of that place. I don't care how much you beg, how much you cry, how much you plead. You will not beg your way out. Where will you be? You died today. And we're back here meeting this evening. I don't know anything else I can say to impress upon you the importance of being ready. The beauty of being a Christian is that we're always ready. The last point that I wanted to make is we need the Lord for security. In Christ, we have security, don't we? You know, we talk about the hope of a believer. The hope that we have is grounded in the promises of God. Paul said we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. So we have hope. We also have a home, the home of a believer. Paul said our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven, whence we also await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The beauty of being a child of God is we're always ready. A lot of people in the world today are worried about security, financially, physically, etc. Spiritually, we have security. Jesus said in the long ago that he's gone to prepare a home for us. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, he said, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Peter said, we have an inheritance. It's incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away. It's reserved, he said, in heaven for you. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I don't know what else I can say to persuade you to do what you know you need to do. As Paul said, today's the day of salvation. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God Repent of all of your sins, as Paul commanded in Acts 17, verse 34. To be baptized into Christ, to put him on, so that you might be forgiven, Acts 2, 38. And then live a steadfast life in Christ, with the assurance that our labor is not vain in the Lord. As a child of God, we have awaiting us a Stephanos, a victor's crown. 
If you're here today and your life doesn't measure up as a child of God and you want the prayers of the church, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you this hour. You leave here with security and confidence. Won't you come as we stand and sing?